Anti-aging is an evolving branch of medical science, particularly in recent years. It treats the underlying causes of aging and aims at alleviating any age-related ailments. It is becoming associated with Silicon Valley billionaires and celebrities. You may have seen the headlines. Contrary to the belief, this is not driven by a desire to live forever, well perhaps for some, nor to find the fountain of youth, but it is more a pursuit to extend the amount of years of healthy living. Many leaders in the field believe that aging should be treated as a disease itself rather than the cause of a disease. In fact, aging has recently been classified as a disease in Australia and by the World Health Organization. What I have found more than anything is that researchers are on a mission to encourage people to take their own health into their hands. Dr. David Sinclair is a pioneer in the field of aging and longevity research. With a career marked by groundbreaking discoveries, including his recent paper published in Cell Journal on how the loss of epigenetic information causes aging in mammals, he has dedicated his life to uncovering the secrets of aging and finding ways to extend our health span. As a professor in the Department of Genetics at Harvard Medical School, Dr. Sinclair's work has received international acclaim. His scientific contributions have not only advanced our understanding of aging, but have also opened doors to a brave new world where aging is not a fixed destiny, but a malleable state of being. Typically, when I work with folks, I'm able to reverse their age pretty rapidly. Uh, I'm about 10 years younger than my actual chronological age. Professor Sinclair, much like a lot of this field, isn't without his critics. As a researcher, a lot of his papers are based on studies involving mice. The fellow longevity scientists have highlighted a lack of human evidence to back up his claims. Unfortunately, I do not have my own lab to conduct some of this research on my own. However, what I do have is some time with David Sinclair and a willing volunteer. Are you interested in living forever? Not forever, but but uh, my dad died at 71. This is David Williams. And it was a genetic condition called hemochromatosis. <laughs> he, uh, he had too much iron in his blood. And so when he died, I was told you should really go and check out whether you have this genetic condition. And I, and I did have it. And it is treatable, which is weirdly, I just go every three to six months and they take some blood from me and that regulates the amount of iron in my blood. But it was just, it was struck me as very interesting because I thought if I didn't know that, there would be every chance I would die almost to the sort of day, the age when my dad died. And I have a nine-year-old son, so I'd rather, you know, live longer if I can, you know, see my son grow up into, you know, a father and all that sort of thing and lovely to be a grandfather. So that really struck me. And I do think when you lose a parent, you do think a lot about aging and, and you know, when your own death might be. I know it's a selfish thought, but it's, it's, I think it's probably a natural one for most people who are put in that situation. So, yes, I would like to. I mean, I don't want to live forever. But maybe I don't want to die at 71. Have you been interested in, in health beyond that? Yeah, I mean, and also, you know, generally looking after yourself. I mean, I have a pretty healthy lifestyle in terms of, you know, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I've actually never drunk a pint of beer because I don't like it. 
you've probably ne- you know you've known me a long time. You've probably never really seen me drunk, have you? Um, maybe once. Maybe once. Maybe once. <laughs> <laughs> well, he remembers it. I don't. But you know, I mean, you can never know. I'm no. the kind of guy who goes to bed early. I'm the kind of guy who's not out all night and all that sort of thing. So I have a relatively healthy lifestyle, but I'm not obsessive about it because. I feel like sometimes when you're obsessive about it, it can take the joy out of life. You know, when you meet people who can't eat this, who can't eat that, they have to go to bed at eight o'clock in the morning because I've got to get up at 4 a.m. and do yoga and stuff like that. I'm not, I don't want that kind of lifestyle because that to me means there's kind of no fun to be had and no spontaneity. And, you know, I mean, I envy people who can be that disciplined, but it's, I don't really feel that's for me. What, what do you have as? Well, I don't. What do you do to keep healthy? Well, I exercise, but probably not as much as I should because most of the time I'm writing books and that's very sedentary. I eat too much. I'm overweight. I definitely have a sweet tooth, so I'm drawn to that. I don't get enough sleep. I tend to wake up in the middle of the night and find it hard to get back to bed. I mean, I'm of that age now. Are you of that age where you um, have to get up in the night to have a pee? Perhaps. And despite my best efforts, walking the dog, going, exercising, I'm probably too sedentary. I don't have a job that involves a lot of physical effort. So I'm probably, you know, walking towards a maybe not entirely bright future as an older person. Perfect subject, David, for for our experiment, I think. Mm. What's your biggest indulgence? Sweets? You, knowing you, has <laughs> brought me nothing but pain. No, my biggest indulgence, I'd say, is chocolate and, and sugar. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not Willy Wonka. I'm not <laughs> devouring it in huge quantities every day. But, uh, I, you know, it's not unusual for me to have something like that. It's, and, and you know, sugars and everything. You have so many things, isn't it? You know, like bread and uh, fruit, obviously, you know, even though that's healthier sugar, still if you eat a lot of fruit, that's, that can be sugary. And, yeah, I, you know, that's what I'm I'm drawn to and I've always been drawn to. And so I find that very hard to sort of kick, you know, kick that sweet habit. Well, let's see if we can do that. David, uh, David S., should we move on to... David number one and David number <laughs> okay. two. That's yeah, which I one's like which, it. though? <laughs> he's David number one because he's a very intelligent, special man. Okay, so David number one, would you please explain how Inside Tracker 2.0 works? Yes, so it, it turns out that we can map parameters in blood to your biological age. We will measure a variety of things in your body, uh, including iron, but also hormones and uh, blood sugar, inflammation. And I will map that to the changes over time for men of various ages. And for each of these parameters, we will say whether you are 20 or 70 years old or something in between, uh, and then come up with one single number based on those weightings of those numbers that will give you your inner age 2.0, which will hopefully, when we're done here, be younger than you started. Typically, when I work with folks, uh, I am able to reverse their age pretty rapidly. Uh, I'm about 10 years younger than my actual chronological age, which is 53. No. Um, and it, it's really not that hard. You've had a lot of work done, though, no? <laughs> this is all natural you, you've had a lot of work done if anybody has awesome. well you look great but here's the thing can you actually predict from these things like 
when how much longer someone's got left to live absolutely we can do that you can uh, if you want to if you want to know i can i God, that's a big can, one, isn't it? That's it can a, be changed, right? They, they, can, they be number one. It can be changed. Oh, for sure. You yeah, can influence so the, it. Hmm. But if if you were to give me some, you know, you give me these pointers and I don't do them, you could be sure, you know, unless you had me killed, you could be sure what um, what age um, I might be when I die. I mean, that's a weird thought, isn't it? So I'd be fascinated to know about that. I'd be fascinated to know how I can not be walking towards a difficult older age. And obviously, I'd like to look a bit younger, but naturally, you know, not cheap like some people. <laughs> I'm very natural. <laughs> yeah, and these changes are are not extreme. Uh, I'm I'm not going to ask you to run a marathon or, or to never eat sugar, but that but I will ask you to, to modify your lifestyle in ways that will reverse your age. And we will see the results of that. And I'm very confident that uh, we'll be able to get you uh, many years of extra life. What is the biggest thing you're going to ask me to do? Well, you you got a number of bad habits, David, I'm afraid. Um, We're going to work on sleep. We're going to look at how much you eat. Your sugar definitely can be uh, reduced. That's one of the main things you'd want to do. We'll see if we can get you uh, to lose a few pounds. But the main thing, if there's one thing I could suggest, it would be to eat less often. Uh, how many meals a day do you eat and what size are they? Um, I do have three meals a day. I get quite irritated if I haven't had my lunch by about half past one. You know, like I really need to eat my lunch at one o'clock. Otherwise, I get a bit... You get irritated quite often, don't you? Yes, I do get irritated quite often by some certain <laughs> certain, certain people. Um, I'm mentioning no names. Um, no, and so... But it is an interesting point that, that people do... I hear that quite a lot. I get very, it's called hangry. People get hangry quite a lot. And presumably that's just a habit. Oh, yes. Uh, It's very common, especially with today's modern lifestyle where we're sitting around and we we eat three meals a day. And we can, David, I'd be interested in talking to you about measuring your blood sugar levels continuously for a couple of weeks to see what you're doing to your body. What typically happens in, in the Western world with three meals is, you get a big spike in, in sugar in your blood that goes really high and it'll drop down mid-morning after breakfast and it'll, it'll continue to go down. Now you're in a deficit of sugar and your brain is screaming, get me some more food. And then you, you get hangry, you get brain fog, and then you have a, a lunch. And then you go on this roller coaster ride throughout the whole day of being overfed, then hungry, overfed, then hungry. Whereas what I'm going to get you to do is to have a much more steady glucose levels. You won't feel hungry and you'll be able to concentrate the whole day. Well, that would be good, especially because I have the added, uh, well, I wouldn't exactly call it pressure, but the situation I'm in is I'm at home generally writing books. I have food all around me. I have a nine-year-old son. So we have, you know, some jars of sweets and biscuits and things like that at home. You know, there is the constant temptation, almost just out of boredom, to eat, just to relieve the boredom or just to kind of, you know, break up what you're doing. Because writing is very solitary and, you know, you're just wanting some stimulation sometimes. And, you know, a chocolate biscuit can provide that. And you, you, you do yourself, you give yourself little rewards. I think when I finish this chapter, you know, I'll, I'll just, you know, have a cup of tea and a biscuit or something like that. But, you know, and my meanwhile, I'm just sitting down for most of the day, just staring at a computer screen. So, 
it's if I just carry on like this for another ten years, I'm probably going to age twenty years in ten years. So it's a good time for us to do this. This is a good. Inter- he's making an intervention. <laughs> you know, it's like sending Donatella Versace to a rehab center. This yeah. is what you're basically doing for me. Exactly. <laughs> so, what are you going to do to me? We're going to go through your habits, your lifestyle, the food that you eat, and we're going to. Uh, I'm going to suggest that we switch things out, and the kind okay. of things that you drink and eat are going to be optimized for longevity. You you may uh, end up eating more plant-based food than usual. Uh, you may substitute sugar for things that are sweet but will not raise your blood sugar. Uh, and uh, we'll get you to, to move. We're going to tweak things. Nothing too drastic, nothing too quick because you'll fail if, uh, if I, I'm too harsh on you and make it pretty easy on you. Um, and you'll wonder why I didn't do this 20 years ago. Hmm. Oh, what about you? Are you going to examine me? If you'd like me to. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, David and David. David W. has put himself forward as a willing volunteer for this experiment. Well, I wouldn't. You you made me do it, but anyway. <laughs> Not too much force was used. To recap, David W. has taken some blood tests and his biological age has been predicted by Inner Age 2.0. And David S. is going to reveal the bad news any moment and give uh, David W. some recommendations on how to improve that. And then in a few weeks' time, we shall retest that and we'll have a brand new David W. So, David S., over to you. All right, David, good to see you again. Uh, I have some very good news and I have some not so good news uh, to bear uh, with you today. And uh, I hope that this is going to be inspirational for you to take some action to get your body to a place where uh, it can have the best chance at healthy longevity. Now, it is going to require some changes in your life, and we're going to discuss those. But first of all, let me get to the bad news. The bad news is that you are biologically older than your actual age. Uh, Your current age is, correct me if I'm wrong, around 51 and a half. Yeah, that's right. All right. Your uh, biological age, sir, is 54.8. So you're running the clock a little fast the way you're living. Uh, But never fear. This is all correctable. Just to tell you, David, how we developed this age number that came out uh, with your age uh, a little older than you actually are. We take readings of your blood. We take measurements of your inflammation, your blood cell composition your sex hormones, your blood sugar levels are very indicative. They go up steadily with aging. Lastly, we look at the function of organs such as the liver, uh, the kidneys, uh, and your cardiovascular system. All right, so the the readings that were older than they should be, you have very high levels of iron. Yeah, that is a genetic predisposition of having hemochromatosis. Mm-hmm. Other high readings uh, off the scale uh, were triglycerides, little fatty globules from food that you can eat, and you've got reasonably high 
bad cholesterol and low good cholesterol, HDL. Your sex hormones, testosterone is at the floor. <laughs> well, explain, explains a lot. <laughs> Adia Genny finds it hilarious. Well, it just explains everything. <laughs> so, what I mean, what, what does your sex hormone actually do? What does it do for you? What happens if you have low testosterone is the following, and you, you, can, you can tick these off if you agree. Uh, you have low libido, low muscle mass, uh, lower bone density, low energy, depression, increased body fat, and lack of temperature, body temperature control. Just to name a few. The first intervention I would say is we can go a couple of natural ways. What I want to see is if in the next few weeks you can raise testosterone levels by doing some heavy weight lifting. If you strain your calves and your back by doing uh, back lifts, leg lifts, if your back can handle it, work those muscles, those muscles will send a signal to your testes and get them to produce more testosterone. The second is that we're going to use Mother Nature a little easier way. I'm going to send you a supplement that is well-recognized and proven to raise testosterone levels that comes from a plant from Southeast Asia called Tongkat Ali. And uh, you will take that, and together we're going to see your testosterone levels rise. Uh, so the other thing that I want to mention uh, lastly is that your liver enzymes are elevated. Um, they're called AST and ALT. These are enzymes that are released into your bloodstream when your liver cells die. Being overweight will raise your AST and ALT levels. So over the next few weeks, if you can cut back on the amount of calories uh, and meat, particularly red meat and alcohol, and lose some pounds, those levels may correct themselves as well. Should we go through the recommendations? Move on to what you would recommend for, for David W. to reduce his age by 10 years, by decade. All right. And how many weeks do we have to do that? How many weeks would you recommend in order for it not to be too long, but to get some results? At least two months. Yeah, two, two months is probably sensible because then we can see where it's all heading. Great. Well, let's start with the diet. I'd like you, David, to eat out less. And if you do eat out which, of course, is important for your social life, uh, aim for those meals that don't have a lot of fat. So avoid the cream, the butter, and focus on plant-based meals if they serve them, as many vegetables as you can have, because vegetables will have not just the right amount of nutrients to help you lose weight, to give you the right um, combination of amino acids and vitamins. They also contain chemicals called polyphenols that, that are extremely helpful for longevity. They literally turn on longevity genes. A typical Mediterranean diet is what I'm recommending with a very low level of meat. Uh, and don't eat red meat for the next couple of months. See what happens. Focus on whole fruits, not fruit juices, nuts and seeds, lots of high fiber foods, um, no butter, olive oil only, um, and try to lay off the dairy if you can. Uh, avoid eggs, cheese, yogurt, other fermented dairies. Uh, mushrooms are great. And any fermented products such as, uh, let's see, tofu, some fermented tofu, miso, soy, kombucha, the food you should definitely avoid. Some of these will be simple and obvious. 
Avoid eating fried food, chips, cakes, baked goods, anything with more than a trace of sugar in it. Don't eat processed foods. Don't eat processed cheese or meats or sauces. Avoid beer at all costs. Beer has what are called uh, purines, and that raises uh, a lot of deleterious molecules. Um, and in overall, try to eat about three quarters of what you were eating before. Um, just stop and uh, let it sit on your plate. Um, if you get hungry during the day, drink a cup of tea, big bottle of water, and that hunger should go away. And you just try to power through the day, eating small amounts, if any, until dinner. Uh, you'll find after a couple of weeks, you're going to have huge amounts of energy. You can focus. Your liver is now making its own sugar for the body. On the exercise, uh, do leg extensions and leg curls with very heavy weights as much as you can bear. And that way you'll end up with a lot more muscle mass in your back and in your legs. Um, I mean, feel free to do your arms as well and chest. But those are the big muscles that will give you the increase in testosterone um, quite a dramatic in a dramatic way. And uh, that's one of the things we're aiming for. Um, so that's really all of it. If you can follow those things, um, it's going to be a dramatic improvement and we're going to set you goals. So you're going to have to stick to it. So how many meals do you have a day? 27. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to... No, I have, three, I have three, 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 well, three meals a day, yeah. I want, I want you to lose a meal a day, whether it's breakfast or dinner. Your, ch your choice. It's quite easy after a while. I've cut it down to one meal a day now. So but what do you do when you get hungry? I don't. I don't really get hungry till mid-afternoon or late afternoon. I have a coffee or a tea. The morning one, I think, is the easiest. was the easiest one for me. You just drink a lot. Coffee, tea, water. You just keep chugging the, the water in it. Your body gets used to it. Is this so you're fasting or is it? Just you're trying to get less calories. Both. It'll help both. We used to call it caloric restriction. Uh, now we call it intermittent fasting or eating within a time window. So, yeah, that's what it's about. If you don't eat breakfast, then you get the whole night of fasting, eight, ten hours, and another five hours on that. So you're doing 15, 16 hours. Uh, and that's a, that's a decent fast each day. And by fasting, you're not just losing weight. Your body is actually fighting aging during that time because if your body thinks there's enough food it won't fight against disease and aging and you'll just age prematurely you'll get old and you'll get diseases earlier so you have to put your body into a state of adversity at least some part of the day so that it, it learns that life is not so great it's not bountiful as much as it it might think gentlemen thank you for the second stage of our experiment david W, thank you for being such a good sport and taking part in this. David S., thank you for your interesting and very, very helpful recommendations, which are basically exercise, sleep, diet, and a few supplements. It sounds easier than it is. I know that for a fact. And we should be back here in a couple of months with a brand new David W. A whole new David. <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you to, to David as well, because you've obviously worked hard on this and the clarity in which you convey the information is brilliant. Uh, my pleasure. Um, I'm happy to help. And uh, I'll be sending you a care package, David, for, with the supplements for you to take. 
and uh, I'm excited to see how you feel after that. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Until next time. I look forward to talking both in two months when I'm a whole new woman. <laughs> I've been interested in uh, optimizing health for a long time, for at least the last two decades. I've been interested in supplements. I've been interested in, in diets and uh, physical activity. And in more recent years, particularly as the research has uh, yielded some really interesting and exciting results and also very much inspired by reading Homo Deus by uh, Harari, in which he speaks about some of the pioneering research in this field, maybe not in the most positive way, but for me it had the effect of starting to look into this further and deeper and getting in touch with some of the pioneers in the field, being George Church or Aubrey de Grey, David Sinclair, and I've never looked back. We've been friends for quite some time now, Stephen, and I know you, you're a man of incredible curiosity. How, how familiar are you with uh, longevity science? I'm reasonably so. I mean, I've kind of followed it with some interest. This is Stephen Fry. There's a common thing that people in this field do when they're speaking to the public, and that is they will say to the audience, the first human to live to 150 has already been born. And that makes people sit up. And there are a lot of people who believe that. Uh, in other words, somewhere uh, there will be a child who will be alive in 100, if he's 10 now or she's 10 now in 140 years' time. And uh, people feel pretty confident about that. But uh, obviously the trouble is there's no way of them proving it because they'll be dead <laughs> and they won't win their bet. Only their <laughs> heirs and uh, successors will win their bet. Personally, and I'll just get this out of the way, I'm not interested for myself in longevity, particularly. I'm interested, I think most people are, in the idea of an old age that is as pain-free as possible and that there isn't too much cognitive loss. But I'm, I'm not someone who wants to live longer than the rest of my friends. Uh, if, if, if everybody, my family and friends, lived to the 120s, then maybe I'd be quite happy to pass 100 myself. But as it is, I, I would hate to be that lonely sort of flying Dutchman figure, uh, um, uh, so beloved of, uh, of history, the, the survivor, uh, all of whose dependents and acquaintances have since died. I would find that deeply upsetting. And I actually like the idea of death. I just don't like the idea of decay. Well, I think that's very much what our other guest, David Sinclair, is about, is about extending lifespan, but in correlation with health span. Yes. Which, which I think is anybody who wants a long life, wants a healthy long life. Exactly. And, and there's a lot, I mean, the trouble is there's so many snake oil salesmen out there, aren't there, you know, and, and those of us who follow health trends can see that they, they go in different directions. And at the moment, there's a great deal of interest in the, the human microbiome, in the, the neurons that are manufactured down in your gut. Um, you know, so, so, so people are insisting on fermented foods and probiotics, none of which I think are entirely proven in any way. Um, 
except perhaps for those with specific conditions like uh, irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease and things. But nonetheless, uh, I know lots of people, particularly in California, where I am at the moment, which is always what you might call a leader in this kind of thing, uh, who uh, drink nothing but kombucha and eat lots of, uh, you know, sauerkraut because they've read somewhere that that's, that's somehow going to help them live longer and cleaner, that strange word. Uh, clean eating. Um, and I'm very dubious. I'm, I'm very skeptical, but in a positive way, skeptical, I think, about any of these things, because so many of them uh, are about having something to sell. Do you have an interest, active interest in your health? And do you, all these new, you know, you could call them fads, you could call them innovations in, in the field um, that we're talking about, do you find reading about them interesting? And do you find navigating them easy, difficult, or of no interest? No, I'm really interested. And I'm, I'm interested in, in, in lots of different ways. I'm interested in human gullibility when things come along that I think are unproven and, and are immediately uh, um, kind of commercialized and appear as adverts on online. As you know, uh, any time you search for something online, your search is registered and an advertisement will come up. So if you look at anything health-related, it's staggering how quickly your um, your web spaces get filled up with advertisements for all kinds of things, some of which are, are shockingly uh, unlikely. But, uh, yeah, um, my health interest is, I suppose, uh, I hate the fact that I have a propensity to put on a lot of weight. So I'm constantly thinking about how to lose weight properly. Uh, I'm aware that crash diets are bad. I'm aware that things like diet foods are bad, you know, and uh, nothing could be more deleterious to good health than things like the, um, you know, diet sodas, diet, diet fizzy drinks and so on. Um, and there's things like fasting, which I know are very popular these days. Uh, and uh, uh, there seems to be a lot of work done on the benefits of fasting. And I, I do that. I, I fast. I, uh, I don't eat between nine in the evening and lunchtime the following day, one o'clock the following day, which is what sort of 16 hours of not eating. And I find that's been incredibly helpful because it reduces the appetite. So by the time one, one o'clock comes along and I haven't eaten for 16 hours, I'm not actually hungry. And I usually want only the very lightest sort of lunch. And that's very, very new discovery for me. And I'm rather excited about that because that's an easy way to live. You just don't eat till one in the in the morning and one in the afternoon i mean do you feel better for doing it i do yeah i genuinely do and um it, it, i think it's a psychological thing obviously well all feeling is psychological but, but uh i feel i feel better because uh i've done something that isn't as as self-indulgent and depressing as overeating can be and you know, the, 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 there's so many mixed messages in society, aren't there? On the one hand, doctors will absolutely agree that being overweight is a huge contributive factor towards an early death and early diseases like type 2 diabetes and heart disease and strokes and cancers even, and all kinds of uh, ill health uh, outcomes if you are obese. 
Uh, on the other hand, society thinks that we shouldn't fat shame. So it's become a matter of politesse that we, we sort of don't point out these days when people are overweight, people in the public eye, because that's now rude. And I, I think, generally speaking, it's good. This is certainly pointing fingers at fat children in the way that was done when I was a child is, is pretty pretty low work for a human, and, and we should be kinder and politer than that. But it, it, it does sometimes mean that there's a struggle between the two, the social impulse to be kind to people who are overweight and pretend it isn't a problem, and the huge medical emergency that is facing the West in particular of obesity, and in developing countries, actually. It's particularly bad in Central America and places like that. And there are, of course, um, ethnicities for whom sugar is a complete disaster. I mean, you look at the South Pacific and so on, the islanders there who have been uh, really, uh, the, the Western diet has done such extraordinary damage to, to, to them. Uh, so, you know, the, it's clear that these things matter. They matter to the uh, to the to the finance ministers, the chancellors of the exchequer, etc., uh, because they're a huge part of the health budget uh, that is like smoking, like seat belts. You know, the, these are uh, it's it, where libertarian issues come come up against uh, finance and and the public good. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when libertarians. Half the Conservative Party, if not three quarters, were outraged at the idea that people had to wear seatbelts. It was a disgraceful attack on individual choice. Um, but but the fact is, the bills that went down to the national health on on car, um, you know, road traffic accidents and faces going through windscreens and the appalling repair bills that had to happen, it, it was so immediate and so obvious. And the same with smoking. Uh, there was again a libertarian um, kind of how dare they tell us whether or not to smoke, and they're making it all up. There was a lot of uh, a lot of you know denial and uh, fueled, of course by the tobacco companies. But now people understand, again, it saved the National Health Service an enormous amount. Now, here's an interesting thing to do is if you're interested in something like Hollywood is, uh, and you're watching one of those old movie channels and you look at these movie stars of the 30s and 40s, uh, look them up on Wikipedia and see how many of them died of lung cancer. It's extraordinary, uh, Humphrey Bogarts and so on, who, who are smoking in all their movies. And... That's how they died. I mean, the epidemiology is just staring you in the face. And so we know, obviously, we know that about smoking and health. And now we come to another libertarian issue, which is about sugar for children and advertising. And again, the same voices, or at least the children and grandchildren of the same libertarian voices are saying, uh, we, how you, it's not for the government, this nanny state to tell us what we can and can't give our children to eat and how dare they, etc. Etc. And once more, it's that um, it's that face-off between individual liberty, as it's perceived by some, and the common good. And um, and and this whole longevity thing, in a sense, is very interesting because, on the one hand, if we're talking about el older people, senior citizens having better health, that is a great saving on social care and on hospital care. 
But uh, obviously, the longer they live, it's also uh, a less of a saving on giving out pensions. If they're going to live to 120, that's an extra 30 years at least of, of pension money coming out of the, uh, the public pot. So, the, so the, it's very interesting sort of demographics and, uh, uh, on this, this whole business, really, isn't it? That was Stephen Fry describing his view an attitude towards the subject of longevity science, or anti-aging as it has become known. Now it's time that we return to the two Davids and find out how our exciting experiment has gone on and whether David Williams has been able to reverse his biological age and change his ridiculously low testosterone levels. Professor Sinclair, Mr. Williams, welcome back. Just to quickly recap, we met two months ago uh, where we revealed David Williams's biological age. We are now back here having um, been given, David Williams has been given recommendations on how to change his lifestyle to reduce his biological age. And we're here to uh, reveal what the new number is. How did you find all that, David W.? Well, I, I found the diet changes very challenging. I mean, I know people can make a lot of excuses about things like this, but I'm a dad. I have my son all the time. We eat together and everything, and he is not a vegan. And I just I couldn't become vegan. Basically, I mean, I know I probably could if I really, really, really wanted to, but I found that part of it very hard. I did try and eat more fruits and vegetables and less meat, but becoming a vegan outright was a challenge. The second thing that is a challenge just because it's hard to feel you've got that much control over is your sleep. So I couldn't say for sure whether it's been improved. I mean, I've certainly tried to improve it, but there are just things when you, you wake up at four o'clock in the morning, can't get back to sleep. That's just however much you try that's the situation as for being more active i've done that i've also done more weights but i think my weight's gone down and i don't know about what the bloods are saying so i'm interested to see what they say did you feel better or are you different yeah i did and it's partly focusing on your health isn't it you know you're given this information you know i was warm you know my bi biological age is is greater than Really, it's just a bit of a wake-up call, isn't it? So, you know, do I want to be around to see, you know, some grandchildren? Yeah, I do. Like, I'm going to have to live for, like, I don't know, 20 years or so to see that. The thing is also is balancing between enjoying your life and longevity, isn't it? Because, I mean, if you have 40 miserable years of, you know, denying yourself any of the things that you love in life, I don't know, food, lifestyle, whatever, to you know, a shorter amount of time where you, where you can kind of get to enjoy something. I mean, from a distance, it seems like you'd want to choose, you know, a, a you know, happy life over a sort of life of denial and I'm sort of denying yourself things. Well, one thing you might've noticed, David, is when you convince yourself that a healthier lifestyle is more enjoyable and you can, uh, I've certainly done it, uh, then you feel better as well. And I think a, a lot of us, and I'm guilt, guilty of this all the way through to my early fifties was, Hey, I just, I love alcohol so much. I'm going to 
drink it and, and convince myself that that was part of me, my lifestyle. But I, I generally didn't have a great memory, didn't, didn't feel great. Yeah, my mood gets better when I've lost a bit of weight. I mean, I'd say I'm still overweight. It's not like I'm thin, but psychologically you feel better about your body, don't you? You move better. You know, it gives you a good feeling when your clothes fit again. And also when you get older, you think, well, am I ever going to get back to that weight that I was two years ago, three years ago, five years ago? I mean, there's, there's a limit, isn't it? I mean, it'd be, be very difficult for me to be the same way I was at 21. You could, you could be. I'm pretty much the same. But you were a very, very fat child. <laughs> no, not very, very fat. <laughs> Obese. What, okay, what, what were you at your heaviest and what are you now? Um, at my heaviest, I think I was about 93, number 83. That, that is a lot. I'm sorry, because I'm about 96 or 7 now. And I'm about twice the height of you. Well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> and what are you now? Now I'm about 83. Quite a lot of that is your beard. Which one? <laughs> Which of the two? <laughs> okay. Is it time for the big moment? Shall we start? Yes. First of all, I want to thank you for being part of this. Because um, I know it's, you know, you've got other things to be thinking about. And uh, Oh, no, thank you. Thank you. It's quite vulnerable to talk about your health publicly as well. For sure. You know, I do appreciate that. Here's the good news. Uh, you are uh, healthier in many ways since we first met. And just looking at those numbers, it's obvious that you've made changes to your life. And uh, if you hadn't lost weight, I would have been surprised. So, yeah, I mean, such good news. I, I, I was really uh, actually quite surprised given uh, that... Uh, Given the fact that you've met me. Yeah, you said you, you were going to have a lot of trouble changing your lifestyle, and uh, these changes have happened. I think yeah. losing the weight has been probably one of the, big, the bigger things as well. Uh, we often see that, um, is that the first thing I do uh, is recommend the weight loss, and, and that has an immediate difference, particularly in the, the, the lipids which have improved for you and also the glucose levels. Mm. And also people in the street have been saying, oh, you look fatter on TV, <laughs> which is a sort of roundabout way of giving me some kind of compliment. <laughs> okay, well, before we reveal David's new biological age, I just wanted to say, whatever it is, how impressed I am. It's really, really great that despite all, everything you've said, you've, the proofs in the pudding, as they say. Mm, proofs in not having any pudding. Maybe not. Not, not in this case. <laughs> oh, thank you. I mean, I could have gone a lot further. I could have gone a lot further, if I think, if I'd really been strict on the diet. But as I say, I just couldn't get my head around, you know, being becoming a vegan. I, I suppose the problem is I just don't want to. I just don't want to. So age, my, my age. I bet it's 21. <laughs> Um, so let's go back to your biological age. And the calculation then was that you were 54.8. Okay, so you're uh, a, a few years older biologically than your actual age. And our goal was to get you to come down by any amount, uh, the more the better. And before I reveal the, the new number, David, I want to uh, say what the expectation is. When I work with, with folks, uh, it, it generally takes... Uh, more than a year to have a, a substantial change, but you can get down to more than a decade younger biologically than your actual age if you follow almost all of the things that I recommend. 
Um, so you're not, you're not a decade younger, uh, but I can reveal that you're now 49.2. So you're coming down and you're in the right direction. We'll just keep working. Very good. Very, so congratulations. Good. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> I'm going to live forever. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's great news. Well, look, I mean, I know we've not quite wrapped up, but I just want to say thank you because – you were not given a so model patient, I don't think. But, you know, thank you. And you obviously made it easy for me by, you know, sending me all the supplements and being very clear about everything. So thank you very much. Will you continue with these? Yes, because, you know, as I said, I wanted my son's 10. I want to be around for, you know, as much of his life as I can be. I want to be my grandchildren. And, you know, I don't want to struggle in old age. And, you know, I just have a, t- I, I was a overweight child. I've sort of struggled with my weight all through my life. And I've been probably in my heaviest about 115, 118, 20, that kind of thing. So, you know, I've been dangerously overweight. And so, um, so I'm pleased that that's heading in the right direction. I need to keep working on that. I think it's the number one thing and being active. Is, is there anything you'd recommend to our listeners before we? Say goodbye, both of you, actually. Well, I think it's a big wake-up call having the test. Yeah, it's biological age, isn't it? That's what we call it. Yeah. I think that is a big wake-up call because we're all in denial about our lifestyle and, you know, the things that we do that we know aren't healthy and the amount we drink, the amount we eat, the, the little we exercise, all those kind of things. So I think just knowing that number is a wake-up call, and I was quite – not exactly upset, but I was unsettled that it was higher than my real age. So I think having that test, if if you're able to, is is the first, obviously, the first step in in thinking about all these things. Yeah, you're exactly right. And uh, so we, we've created a dashboard for your body. And what we like to say is, you wouldn't drive a car without a dashboard. And, and often we go through life just hoping that there's enough oil and gas, uh, petrol in, in the car. And, uh, and when you realize there isn't, then, you know, you take action. So I'm super happy with, with how this has turned out. David, you're a role model for everyone listening because like you say, it's tough to do. You had an injury. You're also, you don't want to change how much you love food as well as much as, uh, as I have, but still you can have a big impact in your eventual longevity. You're on a, on a track to living. Um, up to 10 years longer, uh, maybe more, depending on how long we work together. And that's a big deal, right? How much longer would you, how much money would you give to spend a couple more weeks with, with your parents or with your kids? That's, you know, it's a big deal we're talking about here. And we often forget how important it is um, to maintain our health um, for as long as we can, because when we lose it, it's only then we realize how much uh, we really want to have the health uh, in our lives and stick around for longer. Mm. I want to see Evgeny grow up. That will never happen. Yeah, I don't have a pill for that one. (laughs) I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Brave New World. Next week, I will be joined by David Nutt and Robin Carhart-Harris, as well as the journalist Laura Parker and the legendary Amanda Fielding to explore the science of psychedelics and their potential in treating mental health disorders. This has been Brave New World. Goodbye for now.